This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Reed Pence. This week, the rise in atmospheric carbon dioxide. It makes crops grow faster, but there's a downside. What we were seeing was sort of 5 to 10 percent reductions in these very important nutrients for human health. Bigger yields, but less nutrition when Radio Health Journal returns. Medicare open enrollment is underway and millions of older Americans are evaluating their options to ensure their health plan meets their retirement lifestyle. Silver Sneakers, the nation's leading community fitness program designed specifically for older Americans, is helping people stay active and do more of what they love by improving their physical and mental health through fitness, fun, and friends. No matter your goals, from running a marathon for the first time to keeping up with your grandchildren, Silver Sneakers can help you live your best life. In fact, 91% of members say Silver Sneakers has improved their quality of life. Offered as a free benefit through leading Medicare plans, Silver Sneakers members have free access to all the amenities of a basic membership at more than 13,000 fitness and wellness facilities nationwide, as well as specialized group exercise classes led by certified instructors. Medicare open enrollment ends December 7th. Check your Medicare plan to see if you have the Silver Sneakers benefit. Learn more and see if you're eligible at silversneakers.com. Farmers planted nearly 250 million acres of crops this year in the United States, and we're always looking for ways to make them yield more. One factor that's helping crops grow bigger and faster these days is the increase in atmospheric carbon dioxide. It's what plants live on, and no matter what you attribute it to, there's no debate that there's more carbon dioxide, or CO2, in the atmosphere than there used to be. We live now above 400 parts per million. Pre-industrial levels 150 years ago were around 280 million. So we've seen a steep rise in CO2 already. Dr. Sam Myers is Principal Research Scientist and Director of the Planetary Health Alliance at Harvard University. He says while rising CO2 gives plants more of what they need, it's not the case that plants that grow faster are exactly the same. They're not as nutritious. We think that one part of it is what's called carbohydrate dilution, which means that the plant, in response to rising CO2, is actually producing more carbohydrate or starch, and that some of the other things that are really important nutrients are being washed out as a result of the increasing starch production. Many of the cereal crops, in particular crops like rice and wheat, grow faster when there's higher concentrations of CO2 in the atmosphere. And it's also been understood that as these crops grow faster, in essence, you're changing their physiology of the plant. So they're growing faster, but they're not absorbing more nutrients from the soil. That's Dr. Christy Ebi, director of the Center for Health and the Global Environment at the University of Washington. So there's a dilution effect, and we know that protein content of rice and wheat and the content of major micronutrients like iron and zinc are declining as these crops grow faster. However, plants might be growing bigger and faster for reasons other than carbon dioxide. Hybrids have been developed for yield over the decades to be bigger than previous plants. But Myers says researchers have found the same effect to be true in plants that haven't been purposely changed as well. The one experiment that looked at this, that looked at a different plant, which we're not changing, is goldenrod, which is a very ubiquitous, a very common flowering plant 
It's very important for pollinators like bees. And these investigators looked at archive samples of goldenrod going back to 1850 and found a very similar effect that, in fact, goldenrod pollen has lost 30% of its protein between 1850 and today. So they saw that we're already seeing this effect and then they reproduced that same effect in the laboratory by growing the goldenrod at increasingly elevated CO2 concentrations and showed that this was a linear effect as CO2 has been rising the protein content in the pollen has been falling. And it's likely to get worse as CO2 in the atmosphere continues to rise. Within about 50 years, Myers says CO2 is expected to reach around 550 parts per million, more than a third higher than it is now. When scientists have grown food crops under those CO2 levels, the nutritional impact has been significant. A group of us showed that when we grew 41 different cultivars of six staple food crops on seven locations across three continents over 10 years, that there were significant reductions in iron and zinc in protein in many of those crops. And what we were seeing was sort of 5 to 10 percent reductions in these very important nutrients for human health. For the millions of people all over the world who eat those plants, that's perhaps life-threatening news. Already the world's ability to provide adequate nutrition is tenuous. Roughly around 800 million people are food insecure. 800 million people around the world go to bed hungry at night. They don't get enough to eat. We know that that happens everywhere. We have people, we have children in the U.S. who don't get enough to eat. We also know from some surveys that have been done that approximately 2 billion people around the world have deficiencies of the major micronutrients like iron and zinc. We anticipate that sometime by the middle of the century when carbon dioxide levels have reached 550 parts per million that this CO2 effect alone, if we put aside other kinds of changes in diet, which may make diets better or worse, and that's sort of hard to predict around the world. But if we isolate the carbon dioxide effect itself, that we anticipate that around 150 to 200 million people will experience new onset of zinc and protein deficiency as a result of rising CO2, and that another billion or so people will experience worsening of their existing deficiencies. Myers says those deficiencies already claim 60 million life years lost every year. Public health experts consider micronutrient deficiencies to be extremely critical. Zinc is a really important component of a normally functioning immune system. And so, in particular, for children who are under the age of five, if they have zinc deficiency, they're more likely to die when they get pneumonia, diarrhea, malaria, some of the really common infections around the world that become much more serious in the absence of a well-functioning immune system. Protein deficiency increases mortality in kids. Iron deficiency is complicated. It increases maternal mortality, so women who are giving birth, dying as they give birth or soon after. It increases neonatal mortality, which is infants dying at birth or within the first six months of birth. It reduces IQ. It reduces 
work capacity. So these are very serious health outcomes. But will people affected even know it? They may not know why they're sick, only that they are. One of the problems with these nutrient deficiencies is that they create what we call silent hunger. So if you have iron deficiency or zinc or protein deficiency, and you eat a meal that's inadequate with respect to those nutrients, you still feel full. You still get the calories that you're looking for. And so you don't actually know that you're deficient. And that's one of the reasons why being aware of this problem and developing surveillance systems to ensure that populations are getting the nutrients that they need becomes so important. Or if you know the food you're eating is low on nutrition, Ebi wonders if things could turn out another way. If food becomes less nutritious, a question is whether people are going to eat more because our bodies do need these micronutrients. We need protein. We have a significant obesity problem. And if one response is people eat more of these cereal crops, eat more rice and wheat, the calories will be emptier, as it were. There's going to be less nutrition in what they're eating. That could contribute to greater problems with obesity. It's an open question, but it certainly is a possibility. The crops that are most susceptible to the rise in CO2 are called C3 crops. Cereal crops such as wheat and rice relied upon especially in low- and middle-income countries. But Ebi says no one will be completely immune. Right now we know that in many of the low-income countries, people can spend more than 50% of their income obtaining food. We're quite fortunate in the U.S. and other high-income countries where the amount of our income that we spend on food is much smaller than that, which means that we've got a greater opportunity to spend money to get the micronutrients we need from other sources, for example. But when you're living on less than $2 a day, your options are far more limited. So the concern is primarily from a public health perspective for those who are in poverty or close to being in poverty. Although changes in micronutrient content in our cereal crops will in the end affect everybody. Anybody who eats bread, anybody who eats rice, what we're eating is becoming less nutritious than it was in the past. While lower income countries are most at risk, you don't have to go far to hear that the American diet is built on empty calories. But is it fair to say that they've taken over even down on the farm? Are we growing the equivalent of junk food? Myers says that's a little extreme, at least for now. Our food is becoming less nutritious. Now, it's becoming less nutritious for other reasons besides carbon dioxide, for example. The way we refine our grains uh, makes it less nutritious and the types of foods that we're consuming. So there are a lot of different parts of changes in diet that have led to less nutritious food and have played a role in the obesity epidemic. I think it is fair to say that essentially we are substituting very important nutrients for human health for starch, which is essentially just complex sugar. And so in that sense, it may be a little extreme to call it junk food, but it's certainly moving in that direction. So what do we do about it? Nutrients are down with the CO2 that's already in the air. Myers says dietary diversity away from wheat, rice, and other susceptible crops are a first step.
We've identified populations around the world that we think are particularly at risk of health effects from these nutrient changes. And it will be important to track those populations over time to encourage more dietary diversity so that they're less vulnerable to these effects. And then there are some things that can be done like biofortification of crops or potentially breeding crops that are less sensitive to this carbon dioxide effect. The protein losses that we saw were much less pronounced in legumes. So things like you know, lentils and beans seem to be better protected against losing protein content and also are just naturally higher in protein content. And, you know, some of the traditional grains in places like India, the millets and the sorghum, also uh, show less of an effect. That is on the cutting edge of research. A lot more needs to be done in this area to understand if, in fact, there are some varieties where you see increase in micronutrients, there's opportunities then to think about working with the plant to figure out ways so that the plant could produce even more of these micronutrients. Work along those lines has been done with varieties of sweet potatoes to increase the content of vitamin A because that's another major micronutrient deficiency affects large parts of the world. So the hope is, yes, that there may be an opportunity to do this for rice and for wheat, but that is unknown at this point in time. Unfortunately, our experts say there's not much public awareness about the problem of declining food crop nutrition, and research funding is low. Getting more money and support can be difficult when the atmosphere is so politicized. You can find out more about all of our guests through links on our website, RadioHealthJournal.net. You can find archives of our programs there, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm Reed Pence. Medical Notes this week. Here's yet another reason to be concerned about concussions in adolescence. A large study has linked them to the development of multiple sclerosis later in life. The study in the Annals of Neurology finds that one concussion between age 11 and 20 raises the risk of MS later by about 22%. Multiple concussions increase the risk by about 150%. However, concussions in children under 11 did not appear to increase the risk of MS later in life. Allergies and asthma trouble millions of people this time of year, and a new survey by the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America and AstraZeneca shows the impact it can have on life. Severe asthma can remain uncontrolled in spite of medications, and among those patients, more than three-quarters say they always have asthma in the back of their mind. 84% say the disease has imposed at least some limitation on everyday tasks, and more than 40% have missed more than 10 days of work or school in the last year. And finally, many women who go to tanning salons are addicted to it. Researchers writing in the journal Cancer Epidemiology, Biomarkers and Prevention modified questionnaires used to screen for other addictive behaviors. They found that among white women between 18 and 30 who had tanned indoors at least once in the last year, 22% screened positive for dependence on it. Women who screened positive for depression were four times as likely to be addicted. And that's Medical Notes this week. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. 
can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.